So as usually happens when Pastor Zeke's out, we go through 1 Corinthians. So we're taking a quick break from uh, the book of Revelation, and we're in 1 Corinthians. Jacob, I think, taught last on January 31st, and he started 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so you could begin to turn there. As we do a little bit of introduction, just in case you weren't here last time, and we're going to talk a little bit about what 1 Corinthians is. Uh, it's a difficult letter. It's a very corrective letter. The Corinthians were, uh, well, they were tough, man. They were a tough group of people. They were um, into themselves, no doubt. They uh, were very worldly. And so Paul has to write a, a letter of correction to them. And he starts out saying, man, there's divisions there in the church. There's divisions because you guys are, you can't decide. You can't decide how you want to identify yourself. Some people say, we're of Paul, we're of Apollos, we're of Cephas. He says, man, Christ isn't divided. Paul wasn't baptized, or didn't, you, didn't, you didn't baptize into Paul. And so he's talked about a few other things. In chapter 2, he said that he wasn't here with wisdom from the world, but the wisdom that comes from God. And then in chapter 3, last week, he gets back to this issue of carnality, of being a carnal Christian, and there's some division. Different scholars differ on it. They go, man, how could you be a carnal Christian? And, and some would say it's not possible, but I think it's very possible. I think we live like that kind of often. And so in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4, he talks about the problems again in the church, that there's envy, there's strife, there's divisions. He says that some of them again are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. He says, are you not carnal? Aren't you behaving like just mere men when you do that? He says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're just ministers. It's a lowercase m, ministers. He says, we're just servants is all we are. He says that Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase so that he who plants is not anything. He who waters is not anything, but it's of God where the increase comes. And so he says that he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive their own reward. And it was a good reminder for us last time we were together to ask ourselves what role we play in this whole thing. You know, are you someone who goes along and you just plant seeds? And if so, glory to God for that. If you're someone who comes along after and you, and you get to water those seeds, that's great. There, there's some people, I think of guys like Greg Laurie, who he just goes around and harvests seeds all the time, you know? He just walks around, he, he stands behind a pulpit and he goes, good morning, and everyone's like, I want to give my life to Jesus. Some people just, that's where they're at, and that's sweet. But where are you in this whole thing? And he says, we're God's fellow workers, we are, you are God's field, you are God's building. And that's what Jacob talked about last time we were together, so that's a little bit of an introduction. Let's read, uh, let's go ahead and just start here in, um, in verse 9, and we'll read through the rest of the chapter. He says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. 
Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. And so we go back to verse 9. He says that Paul speaking says of he and those who labor with him, we are God's fellow workers. We're going to talk today, of course, about the foundation. There's no other foundation that can be laid. And Paul's saying, I'm the master builder here. I've built that foundation. I've laid that foundation. And we're going to talk about how that foundation is built upon and how it's built up. But he says that, that we're workers in the field. We're workers in God's work. In verse 10, he says this. He says, it's according to the grace of God that was given to me. That's the first way he starts as he's talking about this work that he's doing. It's all by God's grace. Guys, everything in our lives, it starts and it ends with the grace of God. We we don't get to do things within the kingdom because we're good enough or because we're smart enough or because people like us. It has nothing to do with that. We We are only allowed to do what we do by God's grace. And what is God's grace? It's his unmerited favor toward us. It's that God loves us so much that he gives us above and beyond what we deserve. Isn't that so kind of him? You see, God's mercy is one thing. That's where he doesn't give us what we do deserve. But then grace goes a step further and gives us more than we deserve. I I think of it in these terms. uh, I think of, uh, I used to teach um, fifth and sixth grade and I'd always use this example that if somebody was sitting in the class and they were angry and they'd throw their Bible at me or something, well, justice would be for me to take that Bible and throw it right back at them at the same uh, rate of speed and to hit them in the same spot and they would have just as much pain as I had. That's justice. But for me to be merciful would be for me to take that Bible and you know, dust myself off and just put it down and say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to punish you for what you just did. I'll be merciful. But to be gracious would take it a step further and say, hey, young man, seems like you're having a kind of a bad day right now. Why don't we go get an ice cream and talk about it? That's what God has done with us, guys. That, That we're sinners, aren't we? We're bad. We're horrible. We're miserable people, right? We're so contrary to God and all that we do. We're selfish. And God goes, but I'll forgive you. And then beyond that, he, he goes, and, and also, I just want to give you more. I'm not just going to forgive your sins. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you heaven. I'm going to pour my spirit out on you, and I will let you be a part of what I do. Isn't God kind to us? 
And so it all starts, Paul says, that he is this master builder as the one who planted the church there in Corinth, the one who laid that foundation. He says, it all comes, though, by God's grace. And what is the foundation that was laid in there, verse 10 and 11? This foundation that no other foundation can be laid. And we know that the foundation is the most important part of a building, isn't it? You could have a really cool-looking building, but if there's no foundation, it's not going to stick around long. I, I remember one of the jobs we did in construction, we, we, uh, we worked at the old marine land. Does anybody remember the old marine land there in Palos Verdes? It turned into a really beautiful resort. But the first thing they did was they drilled these deep holes into the rock and they poured concrete into those deep holes and they started with a foundation, something that would hold this building because this building was going to be real tall, you see. And with the way things shift and the way the water hits, you want a good foundation because you can go build a really cool sandcastle, right? But because there's no foundation, by the end of the day and when the tide comes up, that castle will be gone. So we need to have a sure foundation. And what is the sure foundation? Well, Paul says it in chapter 2, if you remember back. He says, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellent speech. I didn't come with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. No, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the foundation of the church, guys. It's Jesus. It's not a person. It's not a system. It's nothing like that. It's Jesus. Jesus what? Well, let's go over it. We have a holy God on one hand who's unstained by sin. We've got sinful man on the other hand. That's us. How do we bridge that gap? Does God lower his standard so we could jump into heaven? I hope not. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if sin gets in there. And so what needs to happen? What bridges that gap between God and man? It's the man Christ Jesus. God himself in the flesh who would sacrifice himself for our sins. Because in order for something to be forgiven, the Bible's real clear, something innocent needs to shed its blood. And so Jesus did that. He sacrificed for us, and we accept that gift by faith. We call on His name, and there's salvation. So that's the foundation that has been laid. And Paul says, then others build on that. Now, we're going to be talking today a lot about Christian service. That's what's being built. That's what we're talking about as we're talking about building on that foundation. We we see it because we see the word work or building quite a few times just in these few verses. In verse 9, he says building. In verse 10, he says God's workers. He says others build. How he builds in verse 10. Verse 12, if anyone builds. Verse 13, let each one's work. Also in verse 13, that it will test each one's work. Verse 14, anyone's work. Verse 15, anyone's work. We're talking work today. It's a Sunday, Daniel. I did not come to talk about work. That's a little different from what we are talking about. But we're getting into this area of Christian service, and I, and I, I, I believe this. This is one of the ways, as a Christian, we are most Christ-like is when we are serving the King. How can I make that claim? How could we say something like that? If you read Mark chapter 10, if you're a note taker, you could jot it down. Mark 10, 45. It's the theme verse of the gospel of Mark. He says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we begin to talk about Christian service, I do need to say a few things I think that needs to be said. It is said in love. I'm sorry if it's offensive. Well, when you smile that big, it doesn't look like you're that sorry. I, I am not trying to be rude. But I think there are some things that do need to be said. Just like with uh, my kids, never at any point has my love changed for my kids. But there are times that I need to have difficult conversations with them. And so, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, as someone who teaches the word of God, sometimes I have to say things like, well, quit beating around the bush and just say it already, right? Okay, let's talk about Christian service. Guys, if you're a Christian here today, if you've put your, your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, and, and if you just sit and you don't serve, you will stunt your growth as a Christian. You, you will not get moving in your walk. And actually what I think will happen is you will slowly but surely, you'll just start slowly going back. Why? Well, there's some things that happen when you serve the Lord that don't happen otherwise. Now, I do need to say, when we begin to serve the Lord, we don't serve the Lord in order to get something from God. We don't do it uh, because we feel guilty. No, it, it's done out of the abundance of what's already happening in our hearts, that we've been forgiven of our sins, we're grateful to God, and because of that, we begin to serve Him. But here's some things that happen. Number one, I think the thing that happens when we begin to serve the Lord is we put God in his rightful place on the throne of our hearts and at the same time we take ourselves off that throne. Let's be honest, we like to serve ourselves, don't we? When there's a potluck, it takes everything in me to not go run to the front of the line. You know, it's like they're, they're kindergartners. It's like, I know, but I'm still hungry. So I want to feed myself. And besides, they're not even probably going to eat all their food. They're going to waste a bunch of it, so I should serve myself. And aren't we taught that in this world? That's the wisdom of this world. Take care of yourself, and then you can take care of somebody else. We, we spend, from the time we come out of the womb, all our lives trying to just please ourselves. And we become the kings or the queens in our own heart. And what needs to happen is we need to put Jesus in his rightful place. And so when we serve God, the first thing that happens is we take ourselves off the throne and we honor Him. Secondly, I think what begins to happen is we, we create like good habits and good disciplines in our life. There's this kind of built-in accountability when you start serving the Lord. There, there, there are certain things that, uh, and I know myself, I'm lazy by nature. Anybody else that way? Yeah, I could sleep with the best of them. Tomorrow's my day off. Mondays are my day off. And I'll tell you, if I don't watch out, I could sleep till one o'clock. No problem. What serving the Lord does, because I would just do that with all my time, but what serving the Lord does, it's created some discipline in my life. It's created these safeguards in my life because I get tempted just like everyone else gets tempted. And I remember when I was teaching fifth and sixth grade many years ago, I was thinking, these kids are watching me. Everything I do, everywhere I go, I couldn't go anywhere without running into one of these kids or their parents. Oh, hey, Daniel, you're here in Santa Brothers right now. It's like, yes, yes, I am. I'm here. What were you looking at? Nothing at all. Just, I'm fine. I'm good, you know? And it's this built-in accountability that we start realizing when we serve the Lord, hey, people are watching. 
We represent the Lord. One of the highest callings in this world is that we're ambassadors for Christ. The third thing I think it does, it causes us to grow in our faith. Doesn't it cause that? Aren't there times when you're serving the Lord that you go, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I have no idea how to attain to this thing. I have no idea what's going on. And it takes us to our knees and we begin to pray and we say, God, if you don't come through on this, we're toast. God, I, and you learn how to trust God in ways that you've probably never trusted God before. There'd be times in youth ministry, my youth kids didn't usually know this. I was barely like one step ahead of them, man. I was barely a step ahead. It's like you, there's times you're teaching a, a Bible study and you just hope someone doesn't ask. So what's happening next week? I'll find out. I'll find out for you, but I don't know right now. You know, when I had, the, I had these kids, man, they'd ask good questions. Like, hey, just hold that question. That's next week, man. Let's, we'll get to that next week. And you go and you get in your closet. You're like, Lord, please, this little kid has such good questions. I need to, be able, I need to grow right now. And you grow in your faith in ways you never grow otherwise. And so what are we talking about when we're talking about Christian service? Now, there's different callings that we see through Scripture, different spiritual gifts. We see some lined up. There's apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. Those are kind of the ones that we see right off the bat. Maybe God's called you to that type of ministry. Maybe he hasn't. I think we make a mistake sometimes that we think the only way to serve the Lord is things that people see. And I think we, I, I made that mistake when I was young. I'd say, well, there's two gifts in the church, pastor and worship leader. Those are the only two things. And I don't teach and I don't sing, right? And so some of us kind of disqualify ourselves and we go, well, I really don't have much to do within the kingdom. I don't have much to say. I don't have much that I could even be doing. So why do anything? Well, there's more than just that. If you go to Romans chapter 12, you'll find a list of gifts. Let's turn there real quick. Romans chapter 12, just a few pages back. Verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, verse 6. He says, having then gifts... I guess I still hear wrestling pages. I'll wait another second. Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use those gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so we have these other gifts, prophecy, ministry, or administration could be helps as well. Teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, showing mercy. These are all spiritual gifts. Now, these gifts don't have to always be used within the context of the local church, but many times they are used in the context of the local church. And so that's why I encourage so many people, hey, get serving, man. Start serving within the kingdom. Start doing some. Start using those gifts that God has given you to, to glorify His name and to build His kingdom. You know, some people, they're gifted communicators. Just by nature, they're good at talking. And some people can use that gift and they make that connection with kids. Isn't that a super gift? Some of you are like, it is a gift because I don't have that. God bless you if you have that. And God bless you if you don't. If you don't, don't go to children's ministry. But if you do, maybe that's where God's calling you to serve. Within the children's ministry, with kids, I am so grateful for people who love kids and love his word and know how to teach. My daughter came home the other day. She's two. 
And she was telling me the story of Elijah and the widow with the oil, and then she forgot the rest. But I'm like, that's still good. For someone to communicate that with a two-year-old is phenomenal. My, my son comes home, and he, he understands so much. And I'm so grateful for the people that helped teach him back there. But some of you might go, I don't have those kind of gifts. Maybe you have the gift of mercy. You're kind and you're compassionate. You're so loving. And, 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 and people need people that way. You know, you go to a hospital or like the convalescent home, they're going on Saturday to just go and, and to be that touch, that, that point of, of, of intersection, right? That point of connection between God and a person. People that are gifted in mercy, that they're so patient, they're able to sit there and they're able to talk and they're able to love. And even though there may be some difficult, we'll say, older people in a convalescent home, there's people who through the gift of mercy can penetrate that. And, and that place is a different place when they go in there. Or, or maybe you have this ministry, and again, all these things aren't used in the local church. Sometimes you can use these gifts outside of the church. I, I've known of people, they've just gone to the hospital because they love Jesus. And they just go sit in the lobby and they talk to people and they pray with people and they love people. In the name of Jesus, they do it. So again, not all the things as we're talking about Christian service, not all of it is like, well, I serve in this ministry at this church. That could be it, but that's not all of it. And so that's why I want to encourage all of us to in some way serve the Lord. I think of moms when I think of this. Being a mother is just as much Christian service if it's done for the kingdom as being a pastor. How do I know that? I have a wife who has given herself entirely to that calling. And, and her calling looks like this on a daily basis. A lot of laundry and a lot of dirty dishes and a ton of instruction. But I'll tell you, there is no way. These last two weeks have been insanely busy. I think I've put a thousand miles on my car going different places to do different pastor things in this last two weeks. And it's super fun for me, right? I just show up, you know, grab a microphone, start talking and teaching, and it's like super cool. And I, I get to pray with kids and all this stuff. You know, I couldn't do any of those things if my wife wasn't taking care of our kids and doing it with the right attitude. Because <laughs> she could be doing it and be like, whatever, get out of here. When are you coming back? Like, she doesn't do it that way. She does it in a very loving way. And I'm telling you, when that day comes when we stand before the Lord to get our rewards, I'm convinced that she's going to get just as many and probably more. <laughs> because even before I come here to even get up to teach, I get a text that says, hey, me and the kids are praying for you right now. Man. And she's there with the sick kids and taking care of things like that. So I think of moms when I think of Christian service. You know, you, maybe you're a business owner. And, you know, I have so much respect for people who run their own businesses and they do it in a godly way. That's just as much Christian service, you guys. That's just as much. My brother-in-law runs a farming company and he runs it unto the Lord and he says that people who come in contact with our business are going to come in contact with the kingdom. It's amazing to see him do that. The way he treats his employees, the way he points them to Jesus is phenomenal. There's this old story of these two guys who are laying bricks and it's all a matter, is this one still on? Is this, is this mic still on? I keep bumping the... Okay. 
It's just me making other noises. Okay. But there's this story of these two guys who are laying brick. And as they're laying brick, someone walks along and they, they go to the first guy and say, hey, what are you doing? He says, can't you see I'm laying brick right now? So he goes to the next guy. He goes, hey, what are you doing? He goes, can't you see we're building a cathedral? You see the difference in perspective there? One guy was just putting one brick on the other. The other guy was going, no, I'm building something here. I remember when I first started working construction, we, uh, we, I worked for a paving company. And... Um, Asphalt's not the most glorious kind of work. It's really hot. It's kind of smelly. And I remember a time I was so beat. I was so tired from shoveling asphalt. And my feet were hot. And I'd already thrown up a couple times that day. I just, I wasn't feeling well. And I'm like, man, this is just the worst. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, son, in all you do, do it as unto me. And it changed the way I shoveled asphalt. And it might sound silly to you, but it's the truth, and I'm being honest about this, that I shoveled that asphalt and I said, Lord, if there's ever a day in heaven when those streets of gold, something happens to them and you need someone to fix it, I hope you wouldn't look anywhere else, but you would say, oh, that guy, he's shoveled for me before. He's worked for me before. I know how he works. I go, God, if ever the streets of heaven need paving, I want me to be the one you choose. It changed the way I did asphalt. <laughs> it changed the way I work. I wasn't just shoveling. I was paving streets for the Lord. And in, in anything we do, it can be that way. If you're a teacher, bring the kingdom in when you teach kids, right? Whatever it is that you do, may it be done to the Lord. Now, one of the other things I want to talk about with Christian service is that the measure of these things is not to be measured against other individuals. It's only measured against the calling that God has placed on your life. What do I mean by that? I'm so grateful that I don't have to go up and stand next to other guys when, we come, when it's time to be judged by the Lord. Right? I think there's some people who are so insanely gifted that it almost makes you sick. Right? You know, there's some guys, I mean, they're like these visionaries and they, they can like preach better than anyone has ever preached. And then they're like, and now we're just going to go right in time of worship. And they walk right over and they grab the guitar and they just start singing like an angel. And it's like, you dirty dog, man. And I'm so glad on that day I don't need to go stand next to somebody like that. We're only measured against what God has called us to do. And that's comforting to me. God grades based on us being faithful to fulfill the calling that he has called us to. So, I know that was kind of long. That was our little aside into Christian service. Now we can get back to the text. <laughs> when are we going to finish? <sighs> ah, don't worry, I'm very conscious of the time. Usually. So Paul lays the foundation in verse 11. He talks about how no other foundation can be laid. And then he says this at the end of verse 10, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So each one, he's saying, let each one, it's personal, but he says, but let's take heed, let's watch closely. To take heed means to be careful, to watch out, to consider. I think of like when you're playing that game Jenga, right? And you're pulling those things. You don't just like all willy-nilly, oh, I think I'll grab this one. No, you, you, you're very deliberate. You're very calculated. You're, you're, 
You're taking heed to what you're doing. He says, and in the same way, we need to take heed as Christians in our Christian service, whatever it is that God has called us to do, we need to take heed how we are building. Not what. He doesn't say, look out or look at what you're building. He says, look at how you're building. Again, the context of this chapter has to do with carnality. And what was carnality again? The carnal man, let's review real quick, is, is thinking and acting according to the flesh and not of the spirit. This carnal Christian, they're, they're Christians, but they're, they're not walking in the abundance God has for them. They're not walking in the spirit, not walking in the promises. They're happy to be saved, but they're not happy to be obedient in everything. And, and like babies, they behave with certain behavior. And baby behavior is fun when they're babies. But if you're 14 years old acting like a baby, that's a problem. And so the carnal life, again, marked by self-indulgence, self-gratification, little sacrifice, and it's your kingdom, not God's kingdom that's being exalted. And so that's the context of this chapter. As, as he says, so take heed how you're building. Because there's carnality happening, so watch out how you're doing this. Sometimes we can serve with a complete disregard for others. Sometimes we can serve thinking too highly of other people. And what do I mean by that? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just a few pages over. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. There's two problems with the body, but we have to remember that we are the body of Christ serving with each other. Again, the, the church in Corinth, there was division, there was strife, there was envy as they served the Lord together. And here in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, no, 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 we're a body and we work together. There's no room to be self-conscious. There's no room to be self-promoting. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, he says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but it's many. And if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Jump ahead to verse uh, 20. He says, but now indeed there are many members in one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And so there's not room for self-promotion as we serve the Lord. You can't say, well, hey, because you do, you do that, I don't need you. I don't need you to be a part of this. You know, Jim can play the guitar up here, but if no one's turning on the sound and no one's turning on the lights, if no one got here at 7 a.m. to open the doors and straighten the rows, nobody would be here, right? He can't say he has no need of anyone. In the same way, we can't look at ourselves and say, well, because I don't do what Jim does. I'm not, a part, I'm not going to serve. I can't do anything. No, there's things. Jim can't make burritos in the back. I doubt it. He eats them, but I don't think he can make them. Right? And so within the body, we work together. Listen, church, God is more concerned with the worker than he is the work itself. So he tells us we need to take heed how we build. And if you go to first or Second Corinthians, if you're a note taker, just write it down. We don't have time. But Second Corinthians chapter six, Paul talks about the way he ministers. 
And he says, man, we do it in all these ways. It's, it's by honor and dishonor. It's by, it's by stripes and imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness. But in verse 6, he says, it's by purity and by knowledge, by long-suffering, with kindness. It's by the Holy Spirit and with sincere love that we serve the Lord. That's the way we serve, guys. The how is important in our serving. If you remember the church in Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus' accusation to them is, or his admonition to them is, remember then how you receive. Guys, sometimes we do this whole, the means justify the ends, right? Not so in the kingdom. God's just as concerned with our behavior as he is in the rest. And so he says, each one's work, each one's work will become clear for the day, verse 13, the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And we see from verse 12, it could be either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now this is kind of scary because you could build something, it could look real good, but if it's not built with the right materials and the fire comes, then what's going to happen to it, right? You could build something really neat out of hay, but if a flame comes, it's gone. You could build something really nice out of wood, but if the fire comes and it stays hot enough long enough, this thing's nothing, right? But you try to burn gold and you throw that against the fire, what's going to happen? It might liquefy, but it's still gold, right? Precious stones, they might get red hot, but they're still going to be precious stones at the end. And so what is it he's talking about? He says each one's work will become clear on that day. What day is that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Talking about the day that we're talking about. This day that I think we need to live all our days in the light of this day. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This judgment seat that's spoken of, this is not the great white throne judgment, where God would separate believers and non-believers. We're talking of something that's known as the Bema Seat of Christ. It's where believers will stand before Him. And He will test our service to Him. This verse used to scare me because I was like, wait a second, so everything I've done as a Christian is going to go before Him on that time. Like everything? And I remember someone saying, no, your sin has been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. This is more like, think of kind of a county fair a little bit where they, you know, do the pie contests and you bring your best pie and you put it out and the judge comes and he tastes it and does whatever and he awards the ribbon based on which one was the best. Guys, there's going to be a day we come before the Lord. We're going to bring our works before him. All the things, all this Christian service that we've built on top of that foundation and we're going to set it before the Lord and he's going to test it. And he's going to test it 
not like someone who would test a pie at a county fair and just go like this. He's going to get the torch out and he's just going to start burning. And what's going to happen is we're going to be, again, the context of this chapter is carnality. He's talking about the motives of our heart in the things that we have done. And so not only our work for the Lord, but our motives in that work for the Lord are going to be judged. And the fire is going to be turned up and some of it will be wood, hay, and straw and it's going to be burned away. Some of it will find is precious. It's stones, it's, it's gold, it's silver. But what is the judgment going to look at? It's going to, the things that were done, were they done for God? Were they done for ourselves? Were they done for someone else? Were our motives pure? Were we just doing it in our own strength or were we doing it by the Spirit of God? Did we do it just to be seen by men? You see, what I've found, and I haven't served the Lord a long time, maybe 12 or 13 years now, but I've noticed that people serve for a variety of different reasons. I know when I first started serving the Lord, I kind of just wanted to feel good about myself, right? I wanted to feel like what I was doing was good. And I remember telling my dad, I had started serving at Calvary Santa Fe Springs. I'd go in on Wednesdays, I'd empty the trash cans, and I was so pumped up that I got to empty trash cans. And, I, and they, they started teaching me how to do the sound ministry, and I was learning the dials and stuff. I'm like, Dad, this is the coolest thing, man. They're letting me serve, and it's so cool, and everyone's so nice. And he's like, that's good, son. But you'll know you're really a servant when you can be treated like one and be okay with it. Dad, you don't know. They would never treat me that way. These people are great. They're not like you. <laughs> and you know, what happened, you know, shortly thereafter is I remember someone kind of like, hey, there's trash in these trash cans. What's going on? I was like, excuse you. I'm here for funsies, man. I don't work here. I, that, if I empty those trash cans, I'm a volunteer, man. And the Lord showed me real quick. What are you doing this for, son? You're doing it for me? Because if you're doing it for me and that person tells you to empty that trash can, you should do it like that. If that guy yells at you or he doesn't say thank you after you're done serving, after you finish turning off the sound booth, after all the worship team left their mess everywhere, and you clean it up and you put it away and no one says thank you, you're going to be okay with that? And I had to really ask myself if I was really doing it for the Lord. And so some people, we, we've done this, and I know I'm guilty of it, that there's times we do things to be seen by people. Some people serve because they want to feel needed in life. They, they want to feel this sense of accomplishment. They want people to need them. And you could usually tell someone who'd li- who serves for that reason because they don't like to share the work. Because <laughs> they're like, if that person does it and God forbid they're better at it than I am, then I'll have nothing to do. I won't be needed any longer. Glory to God. Then you, you can go do something else. You could go take another step of faith. Go learn to serve another way. I think some of the coolest things that I've learned from all the men that have poured into my life is they're like, you want to learn how to do it? Do it as good as you can and and work me right out of a job. And then I'll go do something else. Some people do it because they want to have power. 
They like what it feels like to be in charge. And in the church, they find a place to do that. And they're like, you go do this. You go do that. You're dumb, you know. And they're just like these big old jerks. And it's like, man, why are you even serving the Lord? And we're going to get before the Lord one day. And all these things are going to be stacked up. And, you know, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about that day because I know already plenty that's going to be burned up. And I feel like I should just, before we even get there, be like, Lord, you know, there's about... Kind of look at what we're going to put up. Let's just throw half of those off. And then we'll try these ones. <laughs> and even that, I think we'll be surprised that God really saw our hearts the whole time. And we'll go, man, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry I didn't do that right. I'm sorry I didn't do enough. I, I, one of the things I'm real bummed out about is uh, how little I'll have to put on that altar. To think that the creator of all the universe died for me so that I can go to heaven and I hold back sometimes. Right? Those times like, hey, can you come help with this thing? No, I don't want to. And, and I think we're going to look back and go, man, I wish I would have done more for the king. And then there's going to be things, though, that I think do surprise us that the Lord will say, no, son, that was glorifying to me. When you gave that kid a cup of water in my name, that was big to me. And I'll reward you for that. Just one more reminder in the way that we go about our business and our Christian service. If you just turn, this will be the last time I think we turn anywhere. But Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, he talks about doing our charitable deeds before men. He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men in order to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. We, we don't do these charitable works. He says that if we do them to be seen by men, if we do them so that people would give us our pats on the back, well, as soon as you get that pat on the back, there it is. Now, this isn't to say, and there's this really fun game, and it's really annoying that Christians play, that when it's after church and it's time to clean up and someone gets the vacuum out and they start vacuuming, you're like, oh, hey, you're vacuuming. No, 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 it's not me. I'm not vacuuming. No, don't notice it. That's just pathetic. That's just pathetic. No. You, you know, you, there's gonna, you guys are going to eat burritos after, and it's like someone's going to pick up the trash. Oh, thank you for giving me. No, 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 don't, don't notice me for getting your trash because then I'm not going to get a reward in heaven for that. Come on. It's the motive of our heart that got us to even get up in the first place and pick up that trash. I, I remember hearing, and I forgot who it was, but they, someone got up to preach, and before he preached, the pastor introduced him, uh, gives him this just amazing introduction. And he gets up and he goes, well, forgive him for saying those things and forgive me for enjoying it so much. <laughs> you know, it's still in us, guys, that we want some of these things. But as best as we can, we need to deflect all attention and all glory to the king. That's what we're serving for. We're all just a bunch of servants serving together for the kingdom. Verse 16 17 it says don't you know that you are this the temple of god 
that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, if you read the New King James Version, there's something we kind of miss when he says this. And if you have the King James Version, this helps a little bit because you'll see in verse 16, it will say, don't you know that ye are? When he says that, he's speaking to a group of people. He's not just speaking to senior because that verse looks very similar to later in Corinthians when speaking of sexual immorality, when he says, don't you know, specifically you, that you're the temple of God, that you were bought with a price, you're not your own. Here he's saying, he's talking to the whole church again. He's saying, you all, don't you know that you all are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And so the warning is not to defile the temple of God. You see, guys, the church is something that Jesus loves very much. And again, the context of the chapter is what? Carnality. And things that would cause division within the church. And so he's saying, man, don't be defiling the temple. And I'm surprised. There's some people, it's like, it's like their gift. It's not really a gift. But what they do is go around, they just cause division. There's websites that exist just to, just to tear down people's ministries. I don't understand it. I, I, I don't think they have a good reading of 1 Corinthians 3.17. God places a high price on His church. And He says, don't be in the business of dividing God's church. Don't be in the business of destroy, of defiling, or else God will destroy Him. Because His temple is holy. It's to be set apart. And so we can also do this, not just people who do it from, a, from maybe a, um, you know, a, a point of view that's kind of like, oh man, that stuff's all messed up over there, but even within the church to promote things that aren't Jesus, to prop up a man, to prop up a ministry, to prop up one thing or another that's not Jesus is not good for the church. And he talks a little more into this in verse 18 through the rest of the chapter. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him be a fool that he would become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. That comes from Job chapter 5. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. That comes from Psalm 94. He says, therefore, verse 21, let no one boast in men. Well, the boast isn't in men. And he'll, he'll say in the next verse, whether it's Paul, Apollo, Cephas. These guys are pillars in the early church, right? You got Paul, you got Apollos, you got Peter, you got these guys that are just these pillars and they make their boast in those guys. But we do the same thing today, don't we? Well, there's that guy's ministry and that guy and this guy. and that. Careful. It's not about a man. I, I've heard people, I, I am... I have a few guys that I, I speak to on a regular basis and, and he's having trouble serving where he's serving. He goes, man, I just, I, I don't respect this pastor, man. I can't, I can't serve here. I can't do this. And this guy's this and this guy's that. And I'm going to, you know, and I'm like, whoa, buddy. Check it out. Let no one boast in men. It's not about you serving with that guy or that guy. Again, what will be judged on is fulfilling the calling that God has placed on our lives to do what He has told us to do, not what someone has told us to do. And so we need to be very careful about that.
We need to be very careful in the way that we go about church. And, and it seems to be this way that, that we could say, well, our church, we're just better, you know. We do things this way and we just like ourselves better this way. And, and you know, it, it's, it's not about that, guys. If people love the Lord, if they're studying the Word, if they're exalting Christ, they're our brothers. I, I'm so blessed right now with some of the things going on in this community, uh, some of the unity that we're seeing between our churches. I'm so fired up on it. The guy from HDC Phelan, we get together on a regular basis. We pray with one another. We're doing campus ministry together. And it's like, but what if they go to that church? Then, then they're seeking the Lord somewhere. I'm pretty excited about that. You're the whole community that's going to hell, man. And we've got to be in the business, guys, of exalting Christ. Because see, here's the thing, that the more we get into us and them and him and them and all this stuff right here, guys, we have to realize that to, to the degree that we as a church become man-centered, it's to that same degree that we stop being God-centered. It's to the same degree as we want to exalt men, it's to that same point that we stop exalting Christ. And so we, may we be people who lift Jesus high in all our lives, in all we do, in all our service. It's not for a person. It's not about a person. It's nothing like that, guys. It's the Lord's. And what a privilege to be a part of His church. What a privilege to be called by His name. And so my prayer this week has been for all of us, for everyone who would be here this week, that God would grab hold of us, that God would minister to us, that He would remind us, if you're not serving the Lord in some way or another, Man, that today would have maybe woken you up a little bit and you'd say, all right, time to get in the fight, time to start serving. Maybe you've been serving with, with impure motives. Maybe you've been doing it wrong. Come up and get prayer for that today. The prayer team will be up here and we'll, we'll pray for you. And then start doing it right. If maybe you go, man, I, I don't have a whole lot to put on the altar on that day. We'll start living for that day today and start serving the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you and the privilege of serving you. God, may you take our lives. Lord, they're not much. We don't have much to give you, Lord. But what we do have, God, we want to give to you right now. And we'd ask you to take the little that we have, Lord, the five loaves and the two fish. Lord, that you would take little and you'd make much of it. That you would take these measly lives of ours, and you would use them for your kingdom and your glory to make much of the name of Jesus. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.